Good morning, friends. What's going on, peoples? Good to be with you all today. Hey, so uh, let me tell you let me tell you a little bit about me and prayer. Uh, we're starting a new series today. Uh, for the rest of the summer, actually, we're going to be talking about how to pray and specifically how Jesus teaches us to pray. Uh, so I was in my mid-30s. I'd been a pastor for at least 10 years at this point. Uh, but I remember this, this point of frustration in prayer. Probably many of you who are or have been or are considering being praying, people can relate to this. But I don't remember exactly what it was. It was, you know, how distracted I get in prayer or feeling like, you know, I show up and I say the same thing to God every day, or, you know, one of those kind of common prayer frustrations. But I remember, I remember being just really frustrated and being like, man, Jesus, would you teach me to pray? And this light bulb went off in my head at that moment where I remembered in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples asked that exact same question. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he answers them. And I just had this light bulb moment where it's like, oh my gosh, Jesus has actually answered the question that I am asking already. Why am I not embracing that answer? And that was really the first time in my life that I, I looked at what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer as something more than, than just this prayer we recite. That it, it is that, of course, but it also is, it's Jesus' answer to the question, how do I pray? He has answered that question, and I was just so hit with it, and was like, man, where have I been? Why hasn't this occurred to me? Why am I not paying attention to the master class that Jesus has already given in how to pray? And, and it is an absolute master class in how to relate to God. And I'll, I'll tell you, in, in the last probably 15 years of my life, uh, that moment has been one of the most transformational periods in my life in terms of my walk with God. And regularly learning how to pray from that place of the Lord's Prayer and everything that, that prayer teaches has been absolutely huge for me. And I, I know it has been for some of you too. And so this summer, that's where we're going. We're spending the whole summer in the Lord's Prayer going kind of line by line, what is it that Jesus is teaching us about prayer? Why is this particular aspect significant? Why would he tell us to pray for this and not for that? Uh, it, it's, it's, really, it's really, really good stuff. So I'm very excited to get into it together this summer. Uh, today, though, so today we're, we're going to look at the prelude to the Lord's Prayer. There's, there's this lead-in to the Lord's Prayer in the version that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, where Jesus starts his remarks about prayer, telling us how not to pray. So today's lesson on prayer is how not to pray, right? Uh, which I know sounds like a goofy way to start, but it's, uh, it's where we're at. Jesus corrects two common practices in prayer that we get wrong, two areas where, where we often get prayer wrong. And he starts with that before he gets into the Lord's Prayer itself. So that's where we are going this morning as well. So It's uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you want to open to it, and let's pray together as we look at the text. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we come to you in worship, we pray, God, that you would be meeting us here. Uh, God, we, uh, we want to come to you 
uh, honest about our desire to be people who walk close to you, but uh, honest too about the difficulties we sometimes face in that, in prayer and in other ways too. Uh, God, would you just be doing your work in us, drawing us close to Jesus, molding and shaping us into his image, and teaching us through his words to pray like Jesus prays. So God, we, uh, we ask you for this, we trust you for it, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. It says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he follows with, this then is how you should pray, and goes into the Lord's Prayer. But focusing this morning on, on the do nots, focusing on how we're not to pray. So two ways that we commonly get prayer wrong. And the first one that Jesus points out here is that prayer is not a way to appear more spiritual than you actually are. Uh, First, he points out how the hypocrites do it. And again, uh, just briefly to look at verse 5. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. He says, when they do this, they've received their reward in full. Uh, So hypocrite, that word for us is often associated with religion, right? Uh, Other things too, I guess, but... um, it's, it's a word that in Jesus' day didn't really have strong religious connotations. Most literally, it, it means an actor. It's a term from the world of the theater. So uh, a hypocrite was somebody who would go on stage and they put on a mask. It's a pretender. Jesus is saying sometimes when we come to prayer, we aren't coming as actual religious people seeking God. We're coming as religious pretenders. That there's another motive that is bound up in this for us. For this person that's praying this way, prayer is not so much about God as it is about other people. And perhaps in the case like of these that Jesus is pointing out in this text, uh, their focus is not on God, it's on their status in the religious community. Right? Folks who pray in such a way that others will look at them and say, wow, that guy can really pray. That is a really spiritual person. That is a really holy person. And we might note here, too, that prayer is not the only way that we can do this. Right? Um, read it later this week, but if you read all of Matthew chapter 6, he points out two other ways that this commonly happens, too. points out people who give in such a way. Right? This is a good spiritual practice. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, but people who give in such a way that it's not really about their giving. It's about themselves and how they can look in front of others. And he points out fasting. And some people will fast in such a way that others will look at them and go, wow, that's a really spiritual person. They fast. I could never do that. You know, this, this sort of a thing. Uh, elsewhere, uh, also in Matthew's Gospel, uh, there's another passage where Jesus is talking about this, this outward show of religion. 
And he says, you know, some of the religious leaders, the thing that they will do is they'll, they'll take the tassels, which are used for prayer. They'll take the tassels on their garments and make them extra long, right? Everyone, if you're an observant Jew, you're supposed to have these tassels on your robes that uh, were reminders of certain aspects of prayer. But they would make these long so people could see them, right? And these things called phylacteries, these boxes that would have a little sliver of, of a, a scripture scroll actually physically in it, and they would wear these on their arm or on their head. Jesus would, would uh, he said they would take these and they'd make them extra big so that everyone could see that they're walking around with the scriptures. It would be like walking around with a giant oversized Bible around other Christians so they would go, wow, look at that person. They've got the NIV, ESV, NLT, double-thick study Bible. That is a very spiritual person, right? And, and the Pharisees are doing the same thing. Extra big everything so everybody could see and be like, that's a spiritual person. Look at the phylacteries on that guy. That is a serious, serious religious person. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's not the point of prayer. It's not about how you look to others. It's not about appearing more spiritual than you are. No, it has something to do with you and God. And so Jesus... Jesus is adding this corrective to them. Now, um, some of you may already know this, because uh, I don't think it's well hidden, but I'll throw it out there for you anyway. I think when it comes to, to this kind of spirituality, this outward show of spirituality, pastors may actually be the worst offenders that there are. Uh, for call it maybe even a, a job hazard, something you have to look for as, as a pastor. But uh, like I used to dread going to pastor meetings because sometimes it felt like a pray off, right? <laughs> One person would pray, and then the next person has to offer a prayer that sounds a little more spiritual than that person, and the next person has to to just sprinkle in some theology so that they can kind of show that they're more spiritual than the, this. This is super embarrassing, but this actually happens, right? Or you'll be in these pastor gatherings and there will be sort of this, um, uh, sort of this, this casual slipping into conversation of, oh, well, this is how big my church is. Or this is how many folks we've baptized in the last year. Or this is how many degrees I have. Or this is how many churches I've planted. Or whatever the point is that you feel like you can sort of humble brag, it, it makes its way into conversation. Uh, it's, it's kind of gross. But this is the reality. Right? This, uh, this is a, a temptation that I get. Uh, and what about you? Uh, are there aspects of your life with God where you feel like this can sort of creep in there? Where your spiritual life can be a, a sort of humble brag where maybe how much you serve or how much you give uh, or the kind of impact that maybe you've had, or how much you know, or how well you pray, what Jesus is highlighting here, becomes something that's no longer for God, but it's something that we, we just kind of let that be out there for others to see. So that maybe we'll get a little more, a little more cred, a little more respect. Uh, that maybe we'll get our insecurities massaged a little bit. Jesus says, listen, if this is you, if this is something that you find a temptation in your life and you slip into, he says, then that is your reward. Then people looking at you and saying, wow, look at them. 
That's the reward that you get from prayer. And I, I don't know about you, but like that's, that's a humbling word. I'm looking for something more in prayer than that. So what's the corrective? Jesus says, if, if this is your temptation in prayer, what do you do? Verse 6, he says this. He says, uh, instead, when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right? He says, do this. Be a person who prays, but don't parade it. Just go to God to be seen by God. And that's it. Right? Now, don't mishear this. Jesus is not saying don't ever pray in public because you read through the Gospels. There's... Plenty of that that happens. It's not a matter of where you pray or with whom you pray. Uh, It's a matter of of our heart posture. It's a matter of our motives. What is it that we are looking for when we come to prayer? The approval of God or the approval of man? And, And this is really good. He says, now when you do it this way, when we're coming to God, not for what others think of us, but when we're coming to God for God's sake, he says, our Father, who sees what we do in secret, will reward us. Our reward. And, and think about this. Really take this in. So the reward, when we are praying to God in a way that's earnest, when we're praying in the way that Jesus is going to teach us here to pray, the reward in that is going to be growing closer to God. The reward is going to be looking more like Jesus. The reward is going to be greater presence in our life of the fruit of the Spirit. The reward is going to be becoming the type of person who has more peace, even when our circumstances would dictate that we shouldn't have peace. The reward is going to be uh, becoming the kind of person who has joy, even when the circumstance in our life is not feeling especially joyful. The result is going to be being the kind of person who's able to love others, even when we don't feel like loving others. The rewards are big. Uh, think about this, right? This isn't a small thing. Think about this as kind of a quality of life thing, right? And maybe when you and I think about quality of life, we're, we're more likely to think of something like the kind of car that we drive or the house that we're in or the job that we have or how much income. But, but think about this. If you have a tremendous income, but you have no patience and no self-control, and you find yourself barking at your children and yelling at your spouse, there's a greater quality of life that you could have. It has nothing to do with those other things. So much of our quality of life has to do with what God has done in us, not so much what's happening around us. This is a quality of life issue. The reward that we gain from being people who are learning to pray like Jesus is a whole different way of experiencing life. And it's worth it. Uh, and in saying this, Jesus is giving a, a one corrective point to what at least one aspect of prayer is. And it's this. It's the prayer is simply being present with God. It's not about how it affects others. It's about simply being present with God. And this is one of those things where, where being a dad has helped me so much to understand this more, uh, what it means just to be with, 
be with our Father in heaven. Um, uh, for me, and you know, increasingly, I've got two girls, uh, two teens. Uh, man, being with them is is something I just desire so much, right? Especially at this age, as they're starting to differentiate, and you know, they're not around us as much as they were when they were little. Uh, but just being with them, right? And so, um, so it's interesting. Like with Abby, she's she's our artsy musicy kid. Uh, for me, being with her usually means doing something that involves music, right? Uh, thankfully, I usually like the music that she likes, so it kind of works out in that way. But even if she didn't, that's not the point, right? Uh, with, with Hannah, so often it, it has to do increasingly with athletics because we thought she was just a student. Turns out she's kind of a student athlete. That's developing in her. So that's like, okay, that's kind of fun. Or epic movies, you know, watching Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or whatever. Um, uh, Indiana Jones next weekend. Looking forward to that. It's gonna be, I hope it's going to be good. Don't break my heart again, Steven Spielberg. Make this next one a good Indiana Jones. But, um, but it's it's funny. Back to Abby. So I've I've taken Abby to uh, to three Twenty One Pilots concerts. They were amazing, actually. They were fabulous. You know, I've been telling her since she's like thirteen. Okay, I'll take you to whatever. But you know, I'm gonna have to be there. I'm your security detail. I'm not sending you as a young teen into some concert venue. Uh, the latest one we went to, we went to see uh, this. This uh, little independent alternative Christian band called um, Gable Price and Friends. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of them. I hadn't. Um, but uh, it was downtown. It's in this little venue. It's like 300 people in this, this, little, this little, I don't even know what it was, in this thing. We're in this room together, right? And uh, uh, just being with her in this was so much fun. But I was praying, you know, God, would you... Would you just bless her in this thing? I wanted this to be such a great experience for her. And so we're in there, and the average age in the room is like 24. It's all like college students, and they're all hipster looking. And then I'm in there like grandpa among all these, you know. And um, uh, managed to, to kind of politely bully our way all the way up. So I got Abby all the way to the stage. She's like, like belly against the stage during the show. This is like her dream, right? And, uh, and all these, these overly friendly college boys are coming up and saying hello to her. And, and I'm standing up as tall as I can and saying, this is Abby. I'm her father. And, uh, and they'd smile and appropriately back off. But, um, but I mean, it's, it's a great show. And she's, she's interacting with the band while they're up there. At the end of it, the guy throws the set list into the crowd, and I give a... a you know, a Holy Spirit shoved to the guy next to me, and I grab it, <laughs> give it to Abby. It was the whole thing. I mean, it was such, such a great night. But, you know, this, this is not a place that you would have found me on a Saturday night on my own. But because I got to be with my daughter, man, it, it was a night I'll never forget, let alone the experience that it was for her. Jesus is saying to us here that at the heart of prayer you have this practice of simply being with your Father. And friends, can you accept that God is the kind of God that He just wants to be with you? Not just that He loves you, right? Because maybe theologically it feels like He has to do that, but God actually likes you. And he wants to be with you. Right? This is what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about everybody else. 
You and God together, that's all that he is looking for. So, well, that's the first one for us. Jesus is saying, don't parade it. Prayer is not a way to appear more spiritual than you are. It's just being present with God. That's one. This is number two. He says it's not just the, the hypocrite or the pretender who's praying wrong. It's also the person that Jesus refers to here as the pagan. Verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Right? And this is second. It's the prayer is not a way to make God do what you want. Prayer is not a way to figure out how to manipulate the Almighty and get him to say yes to the things that we are asking. But uh, this one, if, if you don't relate to the first, I'm sure you'll relate to this one. There is a strong temptation for us in prayer to figure out how can I do this in such a way that I can get God to do what I want. It's prayer as manipulation, prayer as functional, rather than relational. And when Jesus refers to people here as pagans, it's, it's not an insult in their setting. That just refers to folks who are religious, but they're not Jewish. And the Jews had a very different way of relating to God than the other cultures around them did, the pagan cultures. And for the Jew... Uh, basically the heart of it was this, that they had what they called a covenant with God. That God had laid out for them a promise of what it meant for him to be their God and for them to be his people. And at the heart of this promise uh, that God was going to walk with them and love them and care for them was the Torah, was the law of God. And, uh, and they looked at this as this tremendous privilege. You look in uh, like the book of Deuteronomy especially, You have these lines in there where it it says things like, who are we that we deserve this? That God would come alongside us and give us this roadmap for how to live, right? It's a lot different than we sometimes respond now to the laws of God, which we feel like, ah, this is a hassle. Why would I have to do that? They were overjoyed. No God does this. No God gives you an owner's manual for how to live your life. They're thrilled over this. And it made for this very personal kind of way to walk with God, to hear from him, and uh, even as they're praying and having, uh, having God hear from them. Now, in contrast, the pagan religions, and this is what Jesus is referring to here. In the pagan religions, you, of course, had a God, but it was very different. And our, our closest parallel to this, the way that we might understand it best, is in high school, did you have to study Greek, Roman mythology at all? Anybody get into that a little smoosh? So, when you look at kind of the Greek and Roman gods, and this was true of the other gods in the ancient world too, you have these gods, and they're powerful, but they're also unpredictable and capricious, and they're super selfish, and they're not especially moral either. And your main job as a worshiper was to keep your gods happy. You had to appease the gods, because if the gods were angry, you might get smited in some way, And if you gods were happy, then maybe you'd get blessed with, say, good fertility in your family. Or you'd maybe get blessed with good crops that year, or whatever it was. So it was all this matter of how do I manipulate my gods? 
how do I pray in such a way that my gods are going to do what I want, that my gods won't get upset with me, that the gods are going to be subject to my control. Jesus says there's, there's a way to do religion where it's no longer about relationship, but it's about mastering the mechanics of religion. It's, if you think about it, it's another form of outward display. This one not to impress others, but this one designed to manipulate God. Jesus says to them, you, you don't have to do this. You don't have to come with your many words as if, if you pile up enough of them or you put them in the right order, then somehow God's going to say yes to whatever your request is. Uh, my favorite example of this is um, to this whole many words thing. So in, in the Tibetan religion, they have this thing called a prayer wheel. And they, uh, the, the practice started with you would write out your prayers and you would, you would sort of submit this at the temple of your God. And as you put it in the bowl or what have you, then your God would hear that prayer. But they, they came to, to think, well, you know what? If we do this more often, God will hear us more. And so they would bring more and more of these requests. And then finally, they developed this wheel where you take the request and you put it on this wheel and you've got a crank on it and you just spin this thing, right? And it's like technology used for prayer. And so the more it spins, the more the prayers are going up to heaven, the more your prayers are being heard. We're sometimes not that different than the Tibetans or the pagans that Jesus refers to uh, in this passage. Thinking of if we can just get the prayer right, if we can do it enough, if the words are right, then maybe we will unlock God's blessings for us. Uh, I've seen maybe you have too almost almost a paranoia in this about the formula, right? Did I say in Jesus' name when I prayed? Maybe I should do it again if I didn't, because perhaps then it won't count. Did I say amen when I was done? Did I just eat food that I didn't bless before I ate it? That's unblessed food. Which, of course, the Bible doesn't actually say you have to pray for your food before you eat it. But we do. It's, I think it's probably a good thing to give thanks. But there's not a formula for that. We act so often as if there is. As if God hearing our prayers is contingent on the words we use, how many there are, if they're in the right order. Jesus says, no, no, no. That isn't how prayer works. It's it's determined not by the words you use. It's determined by the kind of God that we have. A father who knows what you need and who is eager to give. We might state the corrective on this one like this, that prayer, prayer is not trying to figure out how to get God to do what we want, but prayer is learning to trust in our Father's care. Learning to trust in our Father's care. Jesus says, there is a God who's already heard you, and actually he already knows what you need before you ask. Why do we pray if God already knows what we need? Well, that sends us back to point one. God actually wants to be with you. God wants to be in relationship with you. We don't have to inform him, and we don't have to coerce him. God knows what we need, and he's going to be faithful in that as well. Uh, A little later on, it's, uh, it's Matthew 7, Jesus puts it this way. 
He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? Jesus says prayer is not a way to manipulate God into doing things he doesn't really want to do. Because God isn't that way. He says even a, even a lousy parent still does halfway decent in giving their children things that they actually need. He says how much more? How much more will your father give you what you need? I think about this too with um, think about this with my kids. Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, they're they're still in an age where there's there's plenty of kind of working the system and figuring out. Okay, if I ask dad at this time, that's going to go better than if I ask him at this time. And they're not all wrong in that. But um, but bigger picture, uh, it's it's interesting as they get older and they're starting to learn that that. Uh, I really like to say yes. When, when at all possible, when they ask for, me for something, I really want to try to find a way to say yes. And it's, it has nothing to do with how they ask or when they ask. Uh, I want the best for them. And my yes or my no or my wait or my you're asking for this, but I know you really should be asking for this because that's the thing that you need. It's not based on what they do. It's based on the fact that I love them and I will do anything that I can for them. Friends, can you receive that maybe God looks at you like that? That when Jesus says God is your father, when he says that God already knows what you need before you ask, that maybe it's because God is attentive to your life and he loves you. And he wants to say yes. He loves to say yes. And if you ask him for something and the answer is a no, or it's a maybe, or it's a wait, or it's a, you asked for this, but I'm giving you this because this is what you really need, that's because God loves you. It's, it's, it's not because you didn't get the formula right. It's not because you didn't pile up enough words to make God say, ah, Fine already, I'll do it. You have a father who loves you. And he's going to respond to you in prayer based on that. You know, here's the thing. I think there's, there's a number of reasons that we struggle to trust our father's care for us. Right? And we'll, we'll get into some of those next week when we come to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, with, which begins with our Father, who is in heaven. Right? This is the starting place for Jesus, is knowing to whom it is that we pray. But uh, there's uh, just one of those, one of those things that I think causes us to pull back and hesitate. Uh, one of those is that we sometimes worry, is my sin going to create a barrier between me and God? And we worry about that because there, there's some truth in that. 
Our sin does create a barrier between us and God. But the reason that Jesus can say what he is saying here is that Jesus took on himself that anger for our sin. He took it on to himself. Uh, The wrath of God that would be upon us, it's already come upon Jesus instead. And so there is no wrath. There is no anger. There There is nothing left to be done because Jesus is the one who has done it. He has given us a clear path to this relationship with the Father who loves us and wants to be with us. There is no barrier. The cross has torn all of that down. And so for you and I, because of what Jesus has done, if that's something that we have, we've taken in, we've received Jesus' work in our lives for ourselves, we can come to the Father confident, like a child, knowing that he is eager to meet us where we're at, to give us what we need, and more than that, too. Well, from here, Jesus goes into the the words we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. What does it look like to pray in the way that Jesus prayed? What does it mean to pray in such a way where we're learning from Jesus how to relate to God properly. Uh, and there's, there's seven pieces to that, seven words that we're going to use to sum up the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and that's where we'll be going in the weeks to come. But as we come to the end of this teaching, let's, uh, let's pray together and let's respond in worship.